Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode where I get to speak to incredible leaders from around the world. And today I'm particularly excited because I've got somebody who is slightly different. Well, I say slightly, she's a bit more than slightly different. She's got such a varied life behind her and I find her to be an incredible human being. I've been following her for a while now on social media, but um, I've learned so much about her just from her social media content. I think that's a good starting point. I want to welcome to uh, the show today, Lucy Griffiths. Lucy has had 20 years as an international um, reporter. Um, she's been involved in TV, news. Uh, she's, <laughs> she's got some incredible stories. I'm hoping she can share some of those with us. But then she refound herself, reinvented herself, and she has been the author of best-selling book. She has uh, sold 50,000 uh, online courses, uh, um, and uh, she's now she's coaching other people in terms of how to do that but fundamentally I think everything that you do Lucy comes down to relationship building which is really why I've asked you to come on to this podcast I'm hoping to learn so much from you welcome to the show thank you so much for having me well I only reached out to you a few days ago thinking hmm, you're going to be really really busy but you've managed to squeeze us in and I think the listeners will really really enjoy the show Lucy now, before we go any further, I want to hear about this 20 years in television. I mean, you've literally been to some of the, the, the places in this world that most people would not even dare to tread. Do you want to just talk about your career there? Yeah, I was lucky enough to work as an international journalist for many, many years. And, you know, I started out in local newspapers and local radio. I found myself thinking, OK, I want to go and explore the world. Um, went off traveling and then sort of fell back into news again. But it was much more international. Um, and Burma became a big passion of mine, Myanmar. And so, um, would report from, um, you know, work in some of the refugee camps in Burma and report, um, from Burma. I couldn't always go into the country. Um, so, um, you know, but I was definitely reporting on it from Thailand and then <clears throat> ended up working um, for various TV organisations, working from Bangkok, um, working in Beijing. And from Beijing, I covered much of um, like North Asia. So from Bangkok, I kind of covered Southeast Asia and would go a lot to Pakistan, Afghanistan. Yeah. And then when I was in, in Beijing, I was much more covering North Korea, um, Seoul, South Korea, Seoul, um, and Mongolia. And so, and, you know, and obviously China was such an, a fascinating time to be in China. It was, I sort of arrived in 2007 and um, so saw the kind of preparations 
China's ascendancy onto the world stage um, during the Olympics. And then obviously um, then subsequent, you know, things clamping down on on um, free speech. You know, there was definitely a moment where I got to see um, it was a, you know, I'd say a really golden era era for China. You talk about some of these countries and, and for you, I guess it's almost like it's quite natural. But for most people, they'd be listening to this and thinking, how did you survive in most of these places? I mean, there's, 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 there's a cultural divide and a lot of these countries have their own very deep uh, cultures. But there's also uh, a lot of these countries that you've talked about. There's restrictions in terms of human rights. Uh, uh, Burma, you talk about. I think if I remember right, uh, Burma had it's one of my, one of the most secluded countries in the world, a bit like North Korea. Not many people know exactly what's going on in Burma, but there were huge human rights issues uh, going on in Burma at that time, weren't there? Yeah. So I first started working there in about two thousand and four, um, and and. Yeah, it was a very repressed country. The regime had been in place for, you know, since 1963. So um, it was very difficult to work and operate in the country. And you had to, um, you know, you, you definitely had to talk in code sometimes and, you know, arrange to meet people at certain locations. Um, but also, you know, mobile phones didn't work in the country. So while that was challenging it actually also was a benefit because it meant that that while there was military intelligence following you you could shake them off you could find ways to communicate with people whereas um you know as technology has improved um you know facial recognition mobile phone you know your phones can be hacked and listened to that actually I think it's much harder to be a journalist now in repressive regimes because of facial recognition and, and other technology that I had that, you know, I could, if I was doing a story that was quite a sensitive story, we would, you know, take the battery out of our phones so we couldn't be hacked or listened to. We would leave our phones behind. We'd just pick up a, you know, a a sim and a different phone this is incredible this is like listening to uh, one of my favorite programs homeland right uh, it's like listening to an episode right. from homeland you're know, taking batteries out yeah. of your phone it's like counterintelligence yeah. counter surveillance <laughs> techniques did you find yourself going around round, roundabouts about four or five times before you peeled off a roundabout we wouldn't do that but there were often times where if i was doing a sensitive story we would take the bus rather than going by taxi or by, you know, the, the office driver. Yeah. Um, you know, you'd, you'd choose other ways to, to kind of be able to tell those stories. See, I guess one of the things that you've had to really learn is how to develop strong relationships built on a foundation of trust. Because let's face it, if you didn't have trust in someone in a place like Burma, you'd feel exposed and in danger all the time, wouldn't you? So what have you learned in terms of being able to build relationships in different cultures, in perhaps in environments that are not necessarily as friendly as we are perhaps used to? What are your fundamentals when, when you're trying to develop a relationship? What is it that you're looking for? I'm always about people's humanity and people are people wherever they are in the world and whatever their background. Mm. Um, and you know, I've always been, I think, a smile um, and just genuine, open positivity can go a long way to appeasing any situation, 
making people feel welcome. Um, you know, I've been, you know, when you're reporting in the middle of nowhere, you can find that, you know, um, some peasant who's lost everything they've lost, you know, in the middle of China or something. And let's say there's massive floods, they've lost their homes, they've lost everything. But actually, if you can find, even if you can't communicate with them, like my Chinese is bad. And so I'd be able to, you know, be able to speak a bit, but I wouldn't necessarily understand what they were saying back to me. And so, because the dialect was so strong. So, um, and even, you know, even guys in the office who, you know, are Chinese, they would struggle to understand because just dialects are so different that that can, you know, it means they don't understand every word. But it's actually that common humanity where you can smile at someone, you can make a joke, um, finding common language. So things like David Beckham was a huge like, football, um, I think is such a common language for so many people. You can talk about football um, or the Beatles or, you know, just there's there's certain subjects that you can, you, you know, I've always made it, made an effort to learn about football and to be able to know who's at the top of the Premier League or whatever, not because I really care about that subject. It's so that I can converse with people who do care about that subject. And so it's an easy way to, to sort of create a commonality and, and, and have something to talk about. You see, I love this. Uh, and, and of course, the, the, the podcast is called Human Centred Leadership. And, uh, and there's some wisdom to what you're saying that the world, wherever you are, wherever you sit in the world. And, and actually, if you take it back into an organisation, I always say, don't be frightened of the most senior leaders in the organization because at the end of the day, they still sleep like you. They still get hungry like you. They are, they still have interests like you. They're still human. When you have human conversations with people, and I love the fact that you're talking about things like as simple as football. I've been in countries in the world where, you know, the only subject around football is whether you support Manchester United or Liverpool. I'm, you know, I'm always taken aback when people in, I don't know, Mauritius or in the back end of India somewhere and they're talking about Man United and Liverpool um, it, you realise that these subjects actually bring people together and if you have a human centred approach to the communication that you have with other people you can actually build some really powerful bridges can't you? Yeah I think it you know at the end of the day people are people and so if you can find that commonality um, it you know whether it's about families and you know brothers and sisters or just being able to to, to be able to talk about people about their lives, then they open up and it makes everything else so much easier. And, you know, even when I, you know, I've definitely had moments where authority figures have not wanted me to be reporting on certain subjects and that's been really difficult. But rather than, I was always very much, rather than kind of being difficult and arguing with them, I try and find commonality. Um, and I had... I often work with a colleague, David, who um, was, he spoke in, like he'd grown up as, he was the son of a, a missionary. So he basically spoke Chinese like he'd lived in China all his life, incredible Chinese. And um, he would, you know, he'd always be able to find jokes. And we'd, we'd, you know, so even when you're being detained or you're in trouble somehow, if you can smile, if you can find laughter in in those moments and then it makes everything else so much easier and it means that people are more likely to be human and treat you with respect as well yeah there's a lot to be said around this 
this whole issue of smiling. And I think, you know, when you see somebody with a genuine smile on the face, you're more likely to be to, to, to interact with that individual than to see somebody who either has a false smile that doesn't reach their eyes, as people talk about, or they have a very stern face. And I think one thing that I've uh, about you, if, if anybody comes across your LinkedIn or any any social media content, you always have the biggest smile, and it always attracts my attention because it's just such a bright photo. And then you then you feel inclined to read the the content that you've written there. So I, I think you're absolutely right about the smile. Smiling costs nothing but it can be such a powerful tool in your toolbox, can't it? And so you've gone all over the world. You've spoken to all sorts of people. You've learned to, um, to, to, to work within cultures and maybe some challenging environments. Uh, and you've relied upon this human intellect of yours, your human sort of, your humanity, if you like, uh, and, and to commun- communicate at the most basic of levels. You, You've built these skill sets and I think what you've done is you've carried these skill sets on with everything else that you've done. And I think it's really shining bright for you now uh, that uh, you're almost, you've almost got this Midas touch that whatever you do seems to turn to gold. I mean, you wrote a book uh, which became a bestseller. Do you want to just tell us about the book and uh, how was that your first book and what it felt like to get that book out there and how you managed to get it to be a bestseller? So my book is called Make Money While You Sleep. And um, essentially, I have been, so since 2017, I've been um, selling online courses. I sort of was doing joint ventures with various people, different uh, brands, different influencers to help them create courses and and doing a joint venture. Um, And... I was also working with people to um, to help them create their own courses, so small business owners or um, people in the corporate world who wanted to kind of you know get more, create passive income and escape the nine to five. I was approached by one influencer that I was working with by her agent, and it was it was literally just um, so March twenty twenty, just as just it was probably my last. It was my last meeting in London before I kind of was like, oh, I better not go into London anymore. And um, she said, would I be interested? I said, yeah. She said, you know, write a proposal. And then, of course, homeschooling and COVID kicked in. And um, so I was in the throes of, you know, homeschooling and trying to juggle everything and keep my business going and all those things that, you know, life throws at you. So I didn't really pick it up till, um, you know, sort of, I guess in the summer holidays, I thought, you know what, I, we, we went away to Italy for, um, for six weeks and I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to write it while we're in. Uh, um, so I'd get up at five and write, um, before, um, before my son woke up. And, um, so I, so I got three chapters done in a proposal, two chapters. Joe, my agent went through this, submitted it. And then by the time it was, you know, we back and forth, whatever. So she submitted it January 21. And um, literally the next day, um, my Bryony, my editor saw it, liked it and said, I love this. Here's a deal. Um, but it's, they, they call it an on the table deal where essentially you have to say yes within by 
the end of that day. Um, and one of the conditions was that I had to write it by July the 7th. So this was February 21. How much had you written by, by the time that the on the table deal came through? So I'd written two chapters. That was just the proposal. <laughs> that was it. And, and we were literally about to move house from London. We were living in central London. Then we were going to move um, to the Cotswolds. There's a bit of a theme here, isn't there, Lucy, that you just like to take things on and, uh, you know, you maybe run three or four major projects at the same time. So, yeah, so, <laughs> so literally, and with homeschooling as well, because we were all in lockdown. So, mm-hmm. I, so I thought, okay, um, so I thought, well, I, I'd planned out 12 chapters. Two were pretty much there written. Um, I did have to work on them a bit, but essentially I gave myself... Um, 12 weeks once my son went back to school so March 8th he went back to school and I I wrote a chapter a week um I'd write every Thursday Friday and then do my business the first three days of the week and then sort of be there for my son and um so would you be writing all day Thursday all day Friday would you yes I mean often Thursdays were kind of faff around procrastinate and then friday would be oh my god i've got a chapter to write <laughs> i um, love that that's me that's me definitely so um and but i you know i would get it done and um yeah so i hit the deadline of july the 7th so i wrote 12 chapters in 12 weeks i take my hat off to you i mean we're not worthy that that is incredible to have written a, a, a book in 12 weeks with the pressure of a you know contract behind it all yeah so it was it was intense to say the least um and then um yeah so the book came out uh december last end of december so basically beginning of this year um and um yeah it did really well i was so lucky that we had um you know a really good marketing campaign great pr um so i got to be on various tv shows um and in lots of newspapers and and that really helped sell things linkedin was brilliant leah turner was amazing at kind of um promoting it for me which was really sweet of her and um so that really helped with um with book sales and it's being released in the us and um it's on sale in like you know there's there's this china version that's um just about um to be published and you know it's it's selling in india in um germany and you know multiple countries around the world i've lost track of how many countries that's absolutely fantastic lucy and uh, and well deserved uh, i must grab myself a copy of that book uh, i know it's going to be full of value because what what you talk about in the book i i guess is is it's about your own success with online courses um, you started doing an online course. Was it back in 2017, did you say? The first course I created was 2017. So um, I, um, so I'd had 20 years in TV. And when my son was born, um, like my last assignment was working in Ukraine. Um, I was pregnant in 2014. And I just didn't want to do it anymore so you were in ukraine i'm guessing you were covering the crimean crisis then yes and you were pregnant yes so you're in the middle of a war-torn country pregnant and and i just i don't know whether you're mad or just uh, just incredible it was no it was it was definitely something i didn't enjoy and i thought i don't want to do this anymore it was it was really that moment of i have friends who were pregnant and felt the need to carry on and i have friends who you know, still work in um, like Clarissa Ward from CNN. Um, you know, she 
leaves her kids and she'll go and report from Afghanistan. And I, you know, her reporting is incredible and she brings such humanity to it because um, she, um, I think because she has children, there's an added rawness and a tenderness. Um, but for me, I didn't want to do it anymore. It was, it was just not, it, I didn't want, I wanted to be there for my son, but I had to work out what I was going to do next. And I really felt unemployable because I had such a sort of specific niche career that it, it didn't seem to fit into a box. And that was, that was definitely like, okay, what am I going to do? I hear this with so many people who have been in these kind of careers. I, I hear this, I mean, I'm a former police officer and I hear this with a lot of police officers who have had 30 years in the police and say, well, what can I do now? And what people don't realise, you've got incredible transferable skills, which you demonstrated, didn't you, with, with the work that you did? Yeah, it's, but, but when you're in that situation, it does feel like, what, what am I going to do? I don't, I, I don't fit tick a box. I don't have the kind of network you need to 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 work in, you know, whatever industry it may be. Um, and so for me, I felt like setting up my own business was the only way that I could kind of leap that that just avoid having to apply for jobs where I didn't have that network or you know all of those things. And um, you know, so while setting up my own business was a challenge that it definitely was that was a massive motivator to say okay there isn't a plan b i've got to make this this work the other thing for me was when my son was born i had chronic incontinence so it meant that i couldn't i couldn't go back to work i couldn't work in an office because i would like if i walked down the street i would pee myself and so i couldn't go and work in an office because it just that wouldn't work for me. And so um, I needed to, to, to have a work from home job. Um, and so that was another reason to kind of do something that really fitted around my life and my health. For you to have come away from this 20 year career where you were literally at the front line of so much excitement. I mean, I, I know that it was full of uh, fraught with danger and, and fear, but excitement. Um, and then for you to stop all of that, all of a sudden, make this conscious decision, say, right, enough's enough, but now I need to do something else. That takes courage. Uh, you must have felt frightened. Uh, and, and with the responsibility of knowing that you've now got this business, you've got to make, you must have been petrified and had some sleepless nights and all these kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I think, so when I was on maternity leave, I set up an Airbnb. So the flat that we had, we lived in, in Notting Hill, um, I turned that into an Airbnb and that gave, so that gave, you know, a level, base level of income. So that was, that was definitely, um, and so I was, you know, I enjoyed that. I didn't really enjoy the admin, but I enjoyed kind of the creativity of that. Um, and that gave me breathing space to then figure out, okay, what's next. And, um, from that, then I started working with, I'd, I'd, done work anyway with CEOs about being confident on camera and presenting and telling stories. So that was easy. Um, what the challenge for me was when I was doing those days of filming, that didn't work with childcare, it wasn't very flexible. And so that's why courses were so much better because it meant that I could put all my energy into that and then they would basically sell themselves through Facebook ads, they sold themselves. And so 
you know, I was selling, you know, able to, to turn over, you know, we were sort of, um, you know, selling, if you were putting down a certain amount of money on revenue, you were getting three times the return through Facebook ads. So it was, it was, in, you know, an incredible way to um, have a really thriving business, very, very simply. I mean, that's fascinating. Uh, uh, but a lot of people listening to this now who maybe have uh, thought about uh, doing some online courses or, or maybe trying to get into social media ads, they're not that easy, are they? In the sense that, it, it, that there is a science behind it. What would be the things that you have learned? I mean, your first course, if I remember, uh, was in 2017, priced at 19.99. But then you was it that that one that you sold 50,000 of? Yeah. So I've got a 19 dollar course called Confident on Camera, and um, that sold, you know, getting on for 60,000 courses now, um, and um, that is. Um, you know, essentially that's kind of a, a gateway product. So, so what you do is you're selling people into that and then you're upselling them into other products and services. So whether that's your membership, whether that's your other higher priced courses. So I have a YouTube course or um, other, you know, a course about creating courses um, and they're priced at different price points. And so, but you've brought people into your world because, um, you, if you're spending, let's say, um, ten dollars to get um, to get a lead on Facebook, but the course, but they're spending, so you're spending nine ten dollars. You're getting back nineteen. They're spending nineteen, so you keep nine profit for yourself, and then they're maybe buying other courses. So, you know, fifty percent of people were buying another course that I had, um, and so all of that is additional revenue that's bringing that's coming into the business you see for me um there, there's this human-centered leadership approach to all of this it, this is about communicating so you know when you were a reporter traveling the world you, you were connecting to people from all sorts of cultures around the con in the context of football smiling this human behavior in the written word because that's what we're talking about here you you are basically trying to encourage strangers who've perhaps never even heard of you to buy your product online without ever having met you without ever having experienced you what have you learnt in terms of the written word uh, that connects to people towards you what's the secret would you say um i think telling stories that you know authenticity is such an overused word but having a realness having a rawness so being vulnerable is really important so you know i think back in you know when i first started doing all of this you know like 2016 i'd never written about myself before i you know i could easily write about you know politics of North Korea or um, what was happening in some kind of state legislature in in China or, um, you know, when I worked in Iraq, you know, about bomb blasts or yeah. whatever it may be. And then suddenly to go from talking about myself felt really vacuous and kind of, I can't talk about myself. Um, and so that's been the journey, talking about yourself. But it's kind of a muscle. The more you do it, the more you, it gets easier. Um, so I tell stories like of how I'm feeling. I might, I'm, you know, I'm in the process of going through a divorce. So I, I might talk about that. Um, and while people might say, 
stop talking about that. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I love reading what, what you write. And sometimes it's the most simplistic of thing, but the way you couch it is just, it resonates. It sits comfortably with people. And it comes back to what you said earlier on. People are human beings. Other people will be going through divorce. Other people have moments of uh, self-doubt, incredible imposter syndrome. I have that all the time. We all do. Um, and to hear somebody else who's doing well to be going through exactly that, you think, Phew, it's not so bad then. You know, if, if Lucy's going through it, then I'm going through it, then I feel okay. And, and I think there's such a strength in vulnerability. And, you know, I do a lot of work with organizations around culture. And I say, you know, you need to build a foundation of trust, but you can only truly build a foundation of trust when there's vulnerability. Uh, and, and I think that's what you do so very well. Yeah, I think being vulnerable rather than, I think social media maybe five years ago was about, you know, you know you'd sort of have some picture where, you know, it was, it was a, a kind of mask and you'd yes. say, oh, I'm, you know, this, that and the other, aren't I amazing? And I don't think people are tired and bored of that. They're, and so they want um, realness. So that means being able to tell those stories that are uncomfortable. And actually, there is so much power in sharing stories of things that are your biggest weaknesses, like, you know, my talking about incontinence or things like that. You might think, how on earth can you do that? But actually, by talking about it, it gives you power because then it no longer is something you fear. It's no, no longer something that is awkward. And it's like, well, you know, this is the reality, but this is how I've overcome it. And so suddenly it becomes, it's a strength. It's something that you have dealt with, overcome. Other people can see, wow, they're dealing with that situation, but they're still doing all of these things. And that gives you a power in the workplace. And, you know, wherever you are, you can then, um, it, it means that you it's liberating rather than it being something that confines you and holds you back. It's the opposite. I hope the listeners have taken away so much value. I don't know what particular aspect of our conversation would have resonated more because there are, there's so much depth to what we've talked about uh, today. Um, but I think if I were to pull all this together, the key messaging is uh, be human, be human, connect with people at their level and remember that everybody pretty much has the same sort of mindset wherever we go, the same concerns, the same aspirations, the same dreams, uh, and the same interests, uh, largely, wherever you go in the world. So uh, connect with people as human beings. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lucy. Honestly, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.